Well, guilt and shame is what we're talking about today. They are uh, kind of similar, but also kind of different, which is why I put them together, though they could both have their own kind of length of sermon length for any of it, really. Um, actually, you could probably do a good sermon series on either, and maybe we will in the future. Um, uh, I remember when we could go to gigs. Remember those? You could actually like, sit in a room and listen to people play music? Oh, I don't know. I'm nostalgic. Um, and rightfully so. I, I remember when we first moved here from America, no friends, no family, it was about five years ago. Um, uh, and normally when I'm in that situation, which I have been a few times, other times before, I'll go to, oh my goodness, that is so loud. <laughs> I'm going to close this one. And we still have some more ventilation from the other one in the back. So sorry if you're sitting, <laughs> Joe, sitting right near the, right in your ear. Um, well, yeah, so, I, so basically if I don't know anybody in the city, I'll try and interact with the arts world in some way. Um, and so I ended up getting involved in this kind of singer-songwriter group, and we would go different places and play music and hear stories about them. I think uh, it, it, some, the best kind of open mic singer-songwriter kind of nights are when everybody's on the same team. Like, it's not like the performer versus the audience, like, oh, I better give something or they're not going to like it. Like, everybody wants everybody to win, and the audience is just as empathetic and compassionate as the one who's, who's performing. I can think of, like, a really good kind of community feel, really good relationships. Well, this one particular group was great in that way, and there's people who were far more talented than myself involved in it. Uh, and often in those situations, you hear, like, the stories behind songs, or, like, oh, I wrote this because of this, or this is what I was thinking about. And it might be kind of jokey, um, you know, self-deprecatory kind of remarks, all the good stuff. I, I, I remember this clearly, thinking about it. It was actually it was at Dulcimer. It was upstairs at Dulcimer, where we first met as a church. Someone was talking about a song that they wrote uh, previously. They just performed, and it was kind of funny. And then he talked about the song he was about to play, and it was, uh, it was about his experience of shame, going through shame. And he just said shame, and the whole place went quiet, went dead quiet. What was kind of jokey, or maybe like glasses are clinking, or people are talking to each other, everyone just stopped, and they were listening. They were like, their attention was, it was rapt attention. I think we all felt like a heaviness in the room, just at the mention of, of shame, and going through it. And the song was, was really good, and all that. And everybody felt it. I think just the mere mention of shame to a group of people brings a heaviness. And I don't know if maybe you feel like that. Like, oh, I've had a horrible week. Now we're going to talk about shame? Oh, like, do we really have to? Like, I just don't want to, I don't want to live under that burden. Well, shame and guilt is something that we all experience. And we're all confronted with it. And we all feel its weight. So it's really important, I think, for us to know how to deal with it. Especially for those of us who follow Jesus, what that means for people who have already um, been freed from the weight of shame. Because the thing is, our culture demands that we must always be okay with ourselves. We must always be okay with however we're doing. Shame is always bad. Guilt is always bad. And um, if you feel that at all, like you should not feel it. You should totally be okay with it. And if, we can't, if you can't be okay with yourself, then what's the problem? Who, who, who bears the responsibility for that? Like, you do. It comes back on yourself again. Like, oh, I'm not even, I have all the shame. I'm not even good enough to kind of be okay with it. We are poor gods for ourselves. This is where um, I think the myth is rightly called uh, the myth of mere self-forgiveness. It's important for us to forgive ourselves, but there's more to life than just forgiving ourselves, and just forgiving ourselves only goes so far. 
So I, and it, we're not going to really actually talk very much about self-forgiveness at all. If you have questions and want to learn more about that, put that in redeemermcr.com slash ask, and we can talk about that. Um, but if we stay living by this myth that we must always be okay with ourselves all the time, if we stay living with that, we are either going to be crushed under the weight of shame and guilt because it is a burden, or we'll sever our ties from our heart to those feelings. And the way that it works, it's going to overflow into other areas. We're going to not feel as much in other areas. It makes us dead inside. And if we're honest, even without this outside pressure of shame and guilt and all the other kind of stuff, we, all of us, are prone to flee from it as well. Like, internally, none of us really wants to deal with it. Like, if there was some other way to deal with it, like, we would, we'd, we'd do it, whatever that thing might be. We don't want to do anything about it because it's painful. It's difficult. So, in our inadequacy, all of us here, in our inadequacy of dealing with guilt and shame, we hear Jesus' words, Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, all you who need rest. I will give you the rest that you need. We don't have it. We get to get it from Jesus. Now, following Jesus means learning his ways, and this leads to rest. That's like a lightened burden. You ever try to go to sleep when you have like shame and guilt kind of going on? It's really difficult. But if you don't have that going on, it's a lot easier to just fall asleep. There's a rest that comes with that. It also uh, allows us to peer into our guilt and shame and ask some bigger questions about ourselves. Now, Jesus uses these emotions not just to, to relieve us of them, of the burdens of them, well, that, by, that by itself is an amazing thing. He transforms them. And what once was a curse, like a curse of shame, a curse of guilt, what once is a curse now can be used positively as a blessing. So um, we'll start with guilt, and we'll talk about shame, and then we'll talk about Jesus' guilt and shame. But first, let's differentiate, differentiate between the two so we're on the same, on the same page here. Um, guilt is I did something bad. Shame is I am something bad. The difference between the two things. One is about actions and consequences. The other is about identity. Now, guilt is more than just a feeling. Guilt can be an objective reality. You can not feel guilty, but be guilty. And what we're talking about, though, today is that emotion, that feeling of guilty, that subjective experience of guilt. Now, you can be um, guilty of something and not live in shame. Or you can be uh, feeling shame and not be guilty of something. They're not like one-to-one linked, but they are kind of in the similar realms. Often, though, this is how it's related. I do something bad, I feel bad. 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 Eventually, like, that just becomes one thing. And it's like, if I can only do bad things, I must be bad. There must be something wrong with me. And that's where shame comes in. But let's start with guilt. Start with the good stuff. I mean, guilt, isn't that like the church's job is just to leverage guilt over everybody so they do the stuff the church is supposed to say? Oh, Lord, forgive us of that. That is not um, what guilt is really about. So we're here in uh, Psalm 38. And we're going to look at this, uh, these verses here. Psalm 38, verses 4 through 8. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I don't know if maybe you felt at all like um, what is going on here, how David's talking about this. My wounds fester and, and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. It's getting into his physical reality. There is no health in my body. I'm feeble. I'm utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Guilt is this overwhelming inward feeling. And it has these outward physical responses. And they're ongoing. He's using words like fester. That's kind of gross. It should be. And why are they festering? 
His wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly, because of what he's done. He's feeble. He's utterly crushed. His heart's in anguish. He knows he's done something bad. And guilt tells us that we, or, or this psalm tells us that we must own where we go wrong. We must own it. There's some, that's another level of getting over it. If we never deal with it and own it, we're never going to get around it. Now, this is where guilt can be a blessing. There's a weird thing to say. But guilt can be a blessing because if we've never felt guilt, we would never be able to own where we've gone wrong. We would just kind of keep doing the wrong things over and over again. We'd be psychopathic, basically. If you don't, it's not good to not feel guilt because we should feel guilt where we do, things, where we do wrong things. Guilt frees us from a me-centered life and at least leaves open space for a faith-centered life. It doesn't provide a faith-centered life, but at least leaves that space. It tells us I maybe don't have all things right myself. In um, this book that I've been peddling, um, Chip Dodd's The Voice of the Heart has this great quote, Guilt is the emotional and spiritual gift that allows us to feel and accept that we've done something wrong. For us to own it. The path towards freedom in forgiveness begins in guilt. It's a starting point. Now, Christianity allows us to be honest with ourselves. allows us to be free with, with the reality of guilt in our lives. It's not supposed to paint our hearts with certain kind of rose-colored brushes. Um, it's not to, like to posture towards saying some things where I do feel guilty, but we don't actually believe it. It allows us to be real, like who we really are, like warts and all, all the areas where we get right and the areas we get wrong. And this is more, let me say, this is also more than just processing it or managing it. This is actually dealing with it. You can process it and manage it and you know, make sure it stays tidy, but it's always going to be there. Now for David, just listing out his feelings and actions, that does not relieve him of the feeling. If anything, when we think about our own guilt, it makes us feel more guilty. It puts us further down that road. It's about where David goes with his guilt. So if you look at the very last verse of Psalm 38, verse 22, he says, Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. So he's being very raw. He's completely honest with his guilt, but he doesn't just keep it there. He's open with it. I mean, this is, this is one of the Psalms. This would eventually become what people would sing in their worship services. He's not just keeping it to himself. It's not like David's personal diary. He's out there with it and bringing it to the Lord. So because David is honestly experiencing his guilt, this opens up his life to actually experience radical forgiveness from God. What we all really want, but we can't get there if we don't own our guilt first. And that allows David to rest and relax in the love of God. I mean, David did some really horrible things, and yet he was still known as a man after God's own heart. How can those two things be like connected? Well, he was honest with his guilt, he brought it to the Lord. Not just an intellectual bringing, and not just kind of here and there, but wholeheartedly brought himself to the Lord. So guilt is good in some ways. It forces us to go to God, who alone can offer the forgiveness that we need. And it forces us to go to other people in the church. Because often the way that God works, his voice comes through other people. There's a reason why the church exists and we aren't just individuals doing our own thing. God's voice of forgiveness often comes through his people. And if we're not honest with where we are and how we're feeling guilty, we're not going to hear those words of forgiveness that God wants to tell us. So if guilt is a good starting point, it really makes a poor ending point. It can be a curse as well. By itself, guilt is a curse. Guilt becomes toxic. It's like the gross buildup on your teeth over time, and you, just, and you never brush them, and they start feeling like a, like a jumper. You know, that's really gross. 
Hey, he's saying fester. I can at least talk about that. See, the problem is if your teeth are like that, they slowly decay and they fall out, and then you don't have teeth anymore. We all come into the world with guilt, and that's a whole other sermon, but also we all experience guilt because nobody's perfect. How will our wrongs be made right? Or are we just supposed to be okay with kind of being okay sometimes? Do we just shrug and move on, and we hope that all of our injustices are never actually truly dealt with? Christianity teaches us that our lives matter, that our actions matter. So if guilt is an emotion that gives us the opportunity to experience freedom through forgiveness, as well as that opportunity to not stay the same, to change, what happens when we don't accept that? Like not just once or twice, but over and over and over, and like decades build up. Well, guilt, like David writes, will overwhelm us like burdens too heavy to bear. Living under the curse of guilt leaves us stooped, our back aches, we have that searing pain in our back because we're bent over with the weight of guilt, and eventually it crushes us. It's meant to be too heavy for us to actually bear. We're, we're meant to see our inadequacies through it. It's meant to be too heavy. I mean, if it, was a manage, if it was manageable, surely we would just kind of avoid God. All of us would. But the curse of guilt is a life of unresolved aches. We'll stay that way. I remember uh, early on in the pandemic, I think it was April, how optimistic we were in April. Do you get nostalgic for like lockdown number one? Oh, remember that? We thought, ah, surely by the summer. Christmas, oh, we'll be fine. We'll be hanging out. It's going to be a great party. No, I don't really get nostalgic for that anyway. Anyway, I was out on a run uh, early on. It was a bit of a longer run, so I ran from my house to the cathedral and back. And I was coming back, and on my way back, there was a guy staggering around, with another friend who was staggering around, coughing, chasing me down, yelling, Corona, and like coughing, on, trying to cough on me. Couldn't catch me because he was drunk. Not that I'm fast, just he was too wasted. Or whatever he was on, I don't know what he was on. Um, now, if that person never felt guilt, what would they do? They'd probably keep on doing stupid stuff over and over and over again, and maybe they hurt somebody else. They would definitely be hurt. I was super angry. I was like, what are you doing? I was like shouting at him, um, as if that was going to change something. But if that person... Whatever they were doing that, that morning, shouting at people and yelling corona and call, trying to cough on them, if whenever they sober up from whatever they were on, then they feel guilty about it, that feeling could actually lead them to not do that the next day. And that would be a good thing. We don't want people chasing around people, coughing on them, yelling corona. It'd be, um, it'd be, guilt makes us, hope, if we use it right, a little bit less idiotic. It makes us all like, a little bit less stupid because we're like, oh, that was a dumb thing to do. I shouldn't do that again. And that's the great thing about guilt. That's a, po- a good positive thing that guilt can do. And when we feel it, we have to find some way of dealing with it, though. And often what we don't do is say, oh, I should be maybe reflective about that feeling. I wonder why I feel guilty. No, often what we do is we rationalize it or we blame other people. We say, oh, this person made me do this. Or if they hadn't done blank, then I wouldn't have done blank. Or I did the best I could, and if they got hurt, well, I'm sorry. You know, and if, uh, if one person's wrong gives you the pass to do something wrong yourself, we're not in the right spot. So here are maybe some questions to think about when it comes to guilt. Uh, and these are difficult questions. And um, maybe it might be helpful, to, whether in, in your own life, to be a bit reflective or even chat through these questions with other people. The first is, are you willing to feel guilty? Are you possibly, or, or is it something you try and flee immediately? To be willing to feel, feel guilty means taking the uh, time and quiet to listen to your heart 
and, uh, and kind of own your own harmful interactions and intentions. What about this one? Would you rather be given freedom through forgiveness or would you rather be justified in your harm of another? I mean, just be honest with yourself. I'd really actually just rather be justified because I want to hurt that person. Or would you rather get the freedom that comes from forgiveness? Are you able to go to another and to God and expose those intentions and actions in truth and vulnerability? We should all have people like this. We can't go through life without people like this. You can't go through life without talking to people about these kinds of things. I mean, I guess you can, but it's a very small life. So guilt can be a blessing. Uh, it can also be a curse. So that's guilt. Uh, I've done something bad. And if you have any more questions about guilt, I mean, what, what was that, like 15 minutes? That's no time at all about guilt. Uh, RedeemerMCR.com slash ask. Put that on there and we'll chat about it after, um, after I talk here, after we sing, or after Michael sings and we hum along. Uh, so that's guilt. Let's, uh, let's look at shame next. It just keeps getting better, right? This is a very uplifting message today. Shame. First, uh, a little bit about the feeling about shame. Uh, if guilt is about actions, right? Shame is about identity. It's about who I am. Now, shame is something we feel before we think. It's precognition, precognitive. Uh, it comes in our, a place in our brain that doesn't come from like a rationalizing kind of spot. We feel it before we understand it. So we all know the feeling of shame. I don't know how many of us understand it. A typical response to shame is to hide, to turn your face away, to not look someone in the eyes, uh, to hide your face in your hands. Notice when a little child does something wrong, they're very quiet and they hide away. Or if they tell you about it, like they cover their face or they look away um, or they, go, they, hide under some, they hide under something. They can't yet understand that feeling. They, they can't put words to that yet, but they're feeling shame. That's what they're feeling. We're very much the same way. Kurt Thompson, in his book, fantastic book, The Soul of Shame, a medical doctor and a um, Christian therapist, has this quote about shame. It says, shame not only is a personal reaction, it is a relational reaction. Shame tells me I am alone, and in agreeing with this narrative, my reaction, and turning away, keeping silence, whatever it might be, makes it true and keeps me alone. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm the only one who feels like this, I'm alone, and then we do things to make sure that that is the case. It's, more, it's not just an inside myself thing, it's, all, it's that, but also how we relate to others. Now, even with all the horrible sides of shame, there is something good about this feeling. I know, we're not supposed to ever feel shame, especially as Christians. Like, we've been freed from shame. Like, how could it possibly be good? Um, and I, I get it, and I, I feel you. But uh, like guilt, there is like a healthy shame and there's a toxic shame. There's a healthy guilt and a toxic guilt. Um, one is a blessing, one is a curse. So if we're going to look at um, Psalm 25 that we read earlier, the first three verses of Psalm 25, I'll put it on the screen as well. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies trust over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. So let's look at how shame could possibly be a good thing, how it could possibly be a blessing first. Healthy shame is coming to grips with our inadequacy. A lot like guilt, only it's more internal, more identity-related, like who I am. It brings to life your vulnerability. It brings to life your limitations. All those things we try and hide away from, from our like, success-driven culture. What shame does is it brings the reality of where we are incompetent to the top. It brings it right to the top in front of everybody. 
The gain of healthy shame is that it helps you. This is uh, from this book again, by the way. The gain of healthy shame is that it helps you live in intimacy with yourself, with others, and God through the development of humility. And that's what we see going on in Psalm 25. There's a, a humility, a humbleness that comes here. If we are shameless, we can put our trust in ourselves. And generally, how does that go? If we know we don't measure up, if we know we aren't enough, our trust has to be somewhere else. Ironically, that grows our confidence. That's kind of weird. You don't think someone who's really confident is someone who has a lot of trust in themselves. The most confident people I know are the ones who are okay with their inadequacies because their trust is precisely not in themselves. It's in the Lord. If you want to be more confident in your faith, be more real in your failings. If you want to be more confident in your faith, be more real in your failings. Talk to God about them. Talk to other people about them as if it's okay, because it is. No one is kind of buying this mirror or this like facade that we're all okay and we're all amazing and everything. Or maybe some people are, but nobody should. I found this to be true, I think, in Redeemer, that generally us as a church, we're scared to talk about when we fail. And maybe that's true of like humanity in general, but it's true of us as a church. It should not be true of us as a church, I don't think. If we are, have our trust in somewhere else other than ourselves first, foundationally, we should be totally fine with talking about where we tried something and it didn't work out and it failed. I mean, COVID has brought many failures to bear on our lives, has it not? And none of that is our fault. And yet we all kind of, I, I guarantee you, there's some level, at least 1% of you, feels the shame of that, even though you had nothing to do with the pandemic. And if you did, I'll alert the authorities to let me know. We need to talk about that. And what we do when we feel shame is we hide. We don't really present our real selves. But if our trust is in the Lord, our failings, instead of becoming something to hold us back from showing who we really are, and therefore holding us back from really being a part of a family together, uh, if our trust is in the Lord, our failings become opportunities to show others where we have needs, where we need to have other people come through for us, where we're desperate for God to work. And I think we might have maybe a little bit more shame in our church than we think about. And it's okay to have that. It's a question of what are we going to do about it? See, Psalm 25, David here, he's desperate. David's desperate. This is not how a king speaks. David is the king, the best king that Israel's ever had. And he's desperate. The Psalms, again, were not like a personal diary that only David saw, and he's writing a poem to himself. He's putting the words that the whole nation will sing together as they worship God. And like a good leader, he's living his life open for all people to see. In our shame of inadequacy, we bring ourselves to others and to the Lord. We put our trust in him, knowing that we aren't enough by ourselves. And what we get is a life that can experience freedom from shame. That's a great way to live. I, that's a great way to live. Psalm 25.3 says, No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. No one who hopes in the Lord will ever be put to shame. The key is putting our hope in the Lord. That's where it all hinges upon. That includes bringing his people into it. We can't put our hope in the Lord and not interact with the church. Jesus does not divorce himself from the church like that. It's all connected to each other. And that changes who we are. Now, this might be kind of weird to think through. Uh, shame is potentially being good. Um, so if you have problems with that or are like, how can you explain that more? I don't get that at all, or I think you're completely wrong because of this, this, and this. I would love to chat about that, so just put that in um, at the, that Ask webpage, and we can bring it up after. 
Now, here's the thing. If we don't use our shame as a way to hope in the Lord, because that's the hinge point, right? Hoping in the Lord is where is how um, our, we won't be put to shame. What shame was once a healthy possible thing, because it leads us to God, leads us to others, can now become rancid and toxic. It's like a fruit that's gone off. Toxic shame is like getting a nasty moldy fruit and shoving that down your throat like every day. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you grab that fuzzy thing and you eat it. It's gross. And, yet, and it makes you feel bad. It doesn't taste good. And yet it's, it's a decision that we make every day. If we don't bring our shame to God and to others, we learn to equate humility with humiliation, which is not how it's supposed to be. We learn to equate failure with uselessness. That's not how it's supposed to be. We learn to equate our inability with worthlessness. That's not what it's supposed to be. This is when we think we can handle life on our own by ourselves instead of realizing that we are needy people and God made us that way. It's not like just something that you experience. We are all experiencing that and God made us that way for a reason. So then that makes sense if you're living in toxic shame to hide yourself. That makes complete sense. Just like the child who hides his face from a parent. And when you've gotten to your age, that we are all are except for Colin, uh, we've spent our whole life centered around hiding from our shame. That leads to anxiety. That leads to control. That doesn't lead to strong relationships. That doesn't lead to involving yourself wholeheartedly in a community. If you think you are a mistake, you will try and hide it. You'll be anxious when pieces of you arise that point to it. And you'll control your life so that nobody really gets too close. Religious people are forged in the fires of shame. That's where we come from as religious people. If you're really hard on yourself, this is probably you. If you try and earn everything in your life, this is probably you. Many outwardly successful people have merely spent their lives trying to run away from the toxic shame that's going on in their hearts. And ultimately, shame comes upon those who don't bring their shame to God. Verses uh, 3, oh yeah, it's still up there on the screen. Verse 3 of Psalm 25, shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. I think if, so if you see um, treacherous without cause, the way the Psalms are written, especially if you have it in your Bible with the lines are written, often there's this thing called parallelism. Now, there'll be one line and another line that's kind of similar but slightly different. There's a relationship between the two. If you look at verse 2, uh, treacherous without cause is connected to the, the end of, uh, of verse 2, nor let my enemies triumph, triumph over me. Enemies of God are people who are treacherous without cause. People who are God's enemies are those who don't surrender to him, or those who haven't given their allegiance to God. They end up treacherous without cause, and they also end up being put to shame. So we, we talked about, which is, sorry, which is ironic. Like, in order to hide from shame, we embrace the toxic shame, which makes us feel bad, and also God tells us we'll be put to shame. That doesn't... That, it just doesn't make any sense. Of course, shame is not like a rational thing. We can't think ourselves out of it. But in order to deal with it healthily, we bring it to God and we won't be put to shame. Of course, that's a much better life. It's a lot more difficult, a lot more painful in different ways, but it's a much better, more meaningful, more full kind of life. So we talked about our experience of guilt and shame. And this series is more than just talking about our emotions, what the Bible says about our emotions. This series is also about how do our emotions Show us God. How do they reflect who God is? If, if we're made in his image and he's given us these things, like why? Like how does that point us to something beyond ourselves, to something divine? Um, 
let's, let's dive in a little bit to God's guilt and shame. Because I think we experience guilt, yes, but Jesus has experienced guilt more than you or any other human ever has or ever will. The amount of shame that you have experienced does not compare at all with the amount of shame that Jesus has already experienced, more than we can imagine. And to make things worse, we might have deserved at least some of the guilt, if not all of it, at least some of the shame, if not all of it. Jesus didn't deserve any of it. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he took us with him. He took our guilt with him, our shame with him, and our guilt became his. It was divine humiliation. Romans 4.25 says that he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So Jesus not only felt the weight of guilt, he paid the price of that guilt. He not only felt the weight of shame, of humiliating public torture to death, being cursed by God, he was made sin. We talked about this last week, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus was made to be sin. It wasn't like he was like sinful, he was kind of sinful. He was made sin. That's an identity statement. There's a lot of shame in there. He bore that shame. He became our sin, and the price was his life. Now, either he was going to pay it, or we had to pay it. He chose to go first. And he didn't just die. He was raised to life. He didn't just put our bad feelings to death. He was raised to life and gives us a new way to live within the bad feelings that we get. And not for himself only, for our justification. The end of that, that verse there. Our just, justification just means being made right. Being made declared right through God. Just as we can be like objectively guilty whether we feel it or not, and we can also be made objectively right whether we feel it or not. That means our toxic guilt can become a healthy use in our lives. Our toxic shame can be a healthy use in our lives. He removes the toxins from toxic guilt and shame. And that allows us to experience their blessings. That's a really weird one, right? I pray that you would experience the blessings of shame and guilt. That's not like a normal kind of benediction a pastor should say to the congregation, but it's true. It's what Jesus gives us. The blessing of guilt, the blessing of shame. That's where the gospel leads us. So Jesus not only solves our problem of guilt and shame, he transforms them, allowing us to actually function, allowing us to use them as functional blessings in our lives. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Living in this life, free from toxic guilt and shame, allows us to run. It gives us endurance. And not just like run a little bit. This is like a, a marathon kind of race. There's freedom there. There's a race marked out for us here. There's a race marked out for you in your life. There's a race marked out for Redeemer in its life. One that we're called to. How do we do this? We fix our eyes on Jesus, what Hebrews tells us. We fix our eyes on Jesus, not on ourselves, not on ways to manage our feelings, although that can be somewhat helpful. But ultimately, what we really need is to look at the person of Christ. That's really what we need. He's the pioneer. He's the one who went first. He continues to go first in our lives. He continues to pave the way for us. He's the perfecter of our faith. He takes our broken selves and is all about setting them right. That's what being made justified is, setting ourselves right brokenness, our brokenness, bringing ourselves humbly to this reality that Hebrews talks about, that's the antidote to shame. 
And who are we in this verse? We are his joy. We are the, we, the joy of Jesus. It's the first thought. What may be the first thought you have about Jesus? That he is so overjoyed with you? Do you live in that reality? Probably most of us don't really think about that. That you are his joy, that he loves you, is excited to know who you are. He's excited to, he's proud of, of, of what you've done. He's excited to see kind of what you learn about with him in this world. There is no way he can prove it more because he already went to the cross for us. There's nothing more anyone needs to do to get in on this. Anyone can get in on this. You don't earn it. You don't clean yourself up for it. You bring your broken self to the one who sat down, said it is finished, and you surrender. You give in to his love. You relinquish your own kind of busted up ways of doing life and ask the one who knows more than you, is more powerful than you, loves you more than you do. You ask that person, what do you want me to do? What's next? So we looked at um, Psalm 38.4. It said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a... Uh-oh, I lost something there. No, maybe it's supposed to go black. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. That's how come we started with, that, with Psalm 38. Now Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are broken, all you who are exhausted, all you who are bearing that weight of shame and guilt and have been, and your back is in that searing pain you've just been stooped over your whole life. And what I give you is rest for your souls. My burden, I have a burden. I have a way of life, a way of living. But it's light. It's easy. See, without Jesus, we carry our own guilt and shame. Now here, you can live a life independent from God. You can live a life that's halfway in and and halfway out if you want. But you will, as Psalm 38 says, you will be overwhelmed by your guilt. You can get that independent life. You can. But you will have a, a, a life weighed down by your own guilt. You don't have to bring your inadequacies to God and to other people. But that will lead to a life of anxiety and hiding. That's the consequence of living that way. If you don't follow Jesus yet or... If you've been a believer for decades, all of us, I'm sure, have at least one small step in front of us to go a little bit out of toxic guilt, toxic shame, a little bit more into the new life that Jesus has called us to, has already given us. We can set our eyes on Jesus the way Hebrews talks about us. We can use the emotions that we have, that we will feel regardless either way. We can use those emotions for the blessings that they deliver. If you're new to the faith, um, Alpha might be a good thing. It's not too late to join in. Maybe after this week we might start closing those invites, and we'll talk about that in a bit. If you have been around Redeemer for a little while, maybe you've been in a missional community, what could like committing more to a missional community in this way and talking about our guilt, talking about our shame, what could that look like? If you, if you get our emails and you've been watching our videos, you know, why not take a step into real community? And that could be Alpha, that could be a missional community. Any email that you get, you can reply and, and um, we'll be in touch about that. Now, if you don't have another person to talk about these things with, to talk to, like, process these through, uh, we have what we call core groups here in Redeemer, which is, like, really small groups of three to four people chatting through stuff like this. Um, and, and there's also just, you know, friendships and stuff that we've built in uh, through people have built in over the time. If you don't have something like this and you feel like you're alone, you don't have to stay that way. There are, more, there are far more opportunities in Redeemer to get involved in than people can get involved in. So just let me know and we will connect you with anything that might work for you. We can chat through maybe what that could look like for your life. Because really nobody really gets anywhere without real commitment. I have to really kind of commit to it and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. 
So if you do want to take a step forward, that's really good. That's why we do what we do here at Redeemer. But know that a commitment is going to require something. It's going to require time. It's going to require energy. It's going to require your emotions. It's going to require your plans even. Now, I would love to see everyone live as humans fully alive under Jesus. But I know that not everybody wants to do that. And I know that in my own heart, I'm not 100% there. You know, probably even close to that. The reason is because it's, it's really hard work. We just kind of all really want to stay the same, if we're honest. Like, oh, can we just get through this without having to deal with it? But we should all maybe want to take another, another step here of, of how we can grow in this reality to think about some of these things. And if you're not sure what that might mean for you, that's totally fine. You don't need to have it figured out. Um, talk to your missional community leader if you have one, or talk to me. We can sort out what those next steps might be. We can ask God together. He has a race for us to run. And maybe you are doing these things now, or even like leading these things now. That's great. Keep going. It's a long race. Keep going. Psalm 38 to 22, the ending of that Psalm 38, says, Come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. Brokenness is the antidote to shame. It's the antidote to harboring our own guilt. As we bring ourselves to the Lord's Supper, let us bring our whole selves. Let's bring the guilt that we don't want to acknowledge. Let's bring the shame that we live in. Let's surrender to Jesus and his love. And if you're at home, this will be a good time to grab something to drink and to eat, kind of join in with us. Uh, we don't need to hang on to the things that he has already put to death. Jesus put them to death. Let's come out of our graves and run the race. Let's be humans fully alive, confident in our inadequacy, because he's more than enough. We don't need to have, you know, complete perfectness on our side. Now, if you don't believe this yet, that's totally fine. Just We don't want you to do something you know, with your body that you don't actually believe in your heart. And also, if you've never done this and you want to surrender to Jesus, whether you're in person here, whether you're joining us at home, we would love that. All are welcome and invited to eat with the king. And so under your seat, you have one of these. When Jesus died, he became our sin. This symbolizes Christ's body destroyed by our guilt, destroyed by our shame. No longer part of us. Let's eat. And when he died, his blood was the penalty for our sin and with it covering all the punishment that we now never have to bear. Let's drink. Romans 8.1 says, there, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me pray.